hello and welcome to another episode of The Run-In. This week we will discuss all things junior selection races in the Lake District. Yes, racing in the UK on the elite level is what? back. We will also discuss the upcoming Euro meeting and COVID restrictions, as well as having an interview with Georgia Jones, who has recently set up the Exeter University Orienteering Club. But uh, mm. starting off with Catherine, you've just come back from an event. I have, yeah. Um, all the, these Wednesday army events, and I'm buzzing because I'm only about a minute and a half behind Fiona Bunn, so way! <laughs> <laughs> um, although, to be fair, I mean, I did I do know where did know where half of the controls were because I shadowed um, Junior on the short green beforehand, and it's essentially my back garden. It was at Minley, which is where the JK relays were, and it's like the closest area to where I live, and I can literally it's kind of one of my go to training areas. <laughs> I so I do know where all the control sites are. Um, <laughs> but but hey, I'm still happy. I only about a minute and a half behind Fiona, who did say she did have a bad run, but I don't care. I'm taking that one, uh, and I'm gonna forever remember it. Take take the victory. If all of the um <laughs> the lads out in Stockholm can claim victories on areas they've trained on for the last twenty thirty years that they've been growing yep. up on, I reckon you can have this. Oh, cheers, cheers. I'm gonna. I, I mean, it wasn't entry, even a victory because she still beat me. It wasn't even oh, well, a victory because she still beat me, but um, I'm happy about only being a minute and a half behind Fiona Bunn. Oh. <laughs> Get an entry in for Euro meeting. Walk next yeah. year. I know. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> I have been getting fitter, but not that much fitter. <laughs> oh, dear. But where are you right now? You're um, I am not, not where in my you house. normally are. Yeah, what? so for the last six months... Um, podcast since I got back from Portugal all podcast recordings have been done in my house and I'm not there so I'm currently up in Scotland um, in deepest darkish uh, Dumfries and Galloway where it is piercing it down with sideways rain Um, (laughs) uh, trying to prep prep myself to go out and do some orienteering training in Dalbeatie Forest and anyone who uh, raced the um, Scottish orienteering champs last year will remember that it was an equally very damp day and it was a pretty rough forest. So um, people might not hear me on the next episode because I'll still be lost and stuck in the green. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just escaping for a week of uh, I'm working up from here. So um, yeah. But you've the, managed the, to track down some Wi-Fi and I, hence I have managed, you on this yeah, call. Yeah, I've managed to get some Wi-Fi, um, <laughs> which, was, which was a struggle for the first couple of days. Um, yeah, very much enjoying a change of scenery back in the hills. But yeah, six months of the lowlands didn't make my quads feel particularly good after a uh, five-hour <laughs> Munro bagging expedition. It was a very big shock. The uh, <laughs> the amount of descent. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear. Well, hey, um, you know, it's not just been you getting a different change of scene. Loads of juniors headed over to the lakes. Um, at the weekend to do these junior selection races these are selections for european youth champs european junior champs which is kind of a new thing this year but that's for the 20s and uh also kind of for the talent squads that are for those age classes they did a sprint first um at windermere but it was i don't know if you've seen any of the maps will it was kind of a good old mix of kind of houses and also a bit of forest i would have done Mm. so badly (laughs) <laughs> I, um, that's actually a really quite cool map we did some senior squad training on it last winter um, so what would have been 20, uh, 20 winter of 2018 2019 
And um, it, that, that bit of forest is quite tricky. And the combination of that is very unusual for Britain. It's much more like mm. a, a Scandinavian style sprint. Um, yeah. So it's quite interesting to see how they tackled that, uh, that slight change. With most of the selection races of the last couple of years have been on university campuses. So uh, very interesting, that one. But Yeah, I don't know, even know if there's a sprint at EYOC or EJOC to know whether like it's relevant terrain. But I would think that kind of doing a there's that there is a sprint on the sunday um i don't know whether it's relevant terrain so for me it would be it's a very odd there's very few kind of sprint races that are kind of in forest this set the for the eyoc european youth champs hilly urban terrain mainly built up urban areas and parks hillsides with varying steepness and terraces Excellent runability and visibility, dense networks of roads and paths, artificial stone walls between the blocks of flats. Mm, there we go. Ooh. I mean, it sounds pretty hard to replicate that here anyway. I mean, yeah, that's um, true. So maybe, maybe it is quite relevant. And I guess they really would have struggled for access permissions to any university campus sort of like. So open housing estate with um, public forest behind is, is the, likely the best option. Because um, I imagine it's pretty tricky to get some access for a sprint area at the moment that's actually really true anyway let's look at some of the results uh let's start with uh youngsters and work older so m16's max mobus won this sprint with ben squire second sam griffin in third place on the w16's emma crawford won followed by imogen peters daisy rennie was non-comp she was third she's a w14 so the third w16 was fiona eads uh the um, 18s Joe Hud won followed by Flurry Grierson and then Peter Malloy you know all very very quick times in that one W18s Lizzie Stansfield won followed by Rachel Brown and Alice Wilson a good kind of 40 second lead there for Lizzie so great result for her and mm. then um, 20s Alistair Thomas uh, first Thomas Laria? Laria, I think. Laria, thank you. I don't know. That would, that would make sense. <laughs> I, sorry, sorry, Tom. Uh, and third, uh, Dan, Dan Spencer, uh, all UOC, all Edinburgh University. And then our W20s, uh, Grace Malloy, uh, one followed by Ailey Campbell and Neve Hunter. And it was about a minute lead for grace on the 2.3 kilometer course so that is pretty impressive there yeah very impressive on that one first kind of indication of where people are at coming out of lockdown i guess for for anyone in the uk so interesting that yeah ali thomas grace malloy the two probably best performers last year at um at jaywalk for the respective men and women carrying on where they left off Mm. And then they headed into Graithwaite for the long distance. And Ooh, these maps, oh my gosh, these maps are all on um, Root Gadget, by the way, for the definitely for the long and for the middle distance. And the, there's some that I saw in the UK O League for the sprint. So definitely find out, um, you know, checking that. And I feel like this, for me, if I suddenly went in there, it'd be a massive shock to the system, having, you know, oriented in so many southern forests recently. It looked really, really tough. And there was some great... There was really nice long legs and kind of like the second and third controls that looked oh, really, really nice, mm. just deciding what to do there. So, yeah, yeah I, don't know I what actually did a, I did a night race there in January. Um, it was on the uh, the eastern slope of the area where I think they came back through on um, after those long legs. 
In and, the green bit or in the white bit? Um, both, combination. So the green bit on the top, mm. then dropping into the white bit on the side. Um, so I think a, cup, a couple of people did train on there at the Talent Squad weekend in January. Not that night training on it probably would have given much help. <laughs> it was a pretty tough event. Um, but yeah, really kind of hardcore, proper orienteering area. So uh, the results yeah. definitely, I guess, pull out the strongest from the field. Yeah, I mean, so uh, M16s, Ewan Musgrave first, Ewan Triner second, Sam Griffin third. I actually want to point out the fourth control, which was the long leg, Ewan Musgrave was the fastest on that, and it was a 17 minute and 20 second leg. Ooh, so, for, you know, for a 5k course, you know, that's that takes up a lot of time, <laughs> looks really great. Uh, the W16s, our top three, Isabel Howard, uh, first Hannah Kingham so they're both Moravian were second and Iris McMillan sorry in third interestingly top three were all Scots um, so they and the, the, so it's a 3.9k course winner did it in 53.27 I think that just shows you how tough the terrain was mm-hmm. and uh, and the climb as well 230 metres of climb in that uh, looking at the M18s and 20s combined, um, Dan Spencer was the top M20, Matthew Gooch was the top M18, Alistair Thomas, Pete Malloy also up there. But interestingly, the good old uh, 18s and 20s kind of mixed in in those top results. And in the W18s and 20s, Grace Malloy with the win, five minutes quicker than Ailey Campbell, Neve Hunter in third, that's the 20s. Of the 18s, Rachel Brown was the fastest, followed by Lizzie Stansfield and then Rachel Duckworth as well. So, yeah, and I mean, Grace Malloy, she did 64 minutes on six kilometres. So, yeah, you can just see, <laughs> see how Savage. tricky that was. Looks amazing. Um, yeah. Really I don't know what course. the undergrowth was like. If it was, if the bracken was up, I've not seen any. I've seen some from it. some pictures with bracken, but I can imagine in the green bit, it's not. It's going to be okay in some of the yeah. areas. No, only the semi-open that yeah, I'd be I'd be questioning. Um, but yeah, but six k, sixty-four minutes. That's a proper long distance for a 20 for an 18 18 and 20 so then they were back on the same area again for this middle distance race um and again really uh good long time like long times for the the distance that you would might you might initially think so m16s you and triner one then adam barry then ben squire the w16s it was Imogen Peters, Isabel Howard and Hannah Kingham. So Isabel Howard and Hannah Kingham, two top threes in the forest. And um, M18s, 20s, Alistair Thomas was the fastest M20, then Dan Spencer. There's a wild a few places you've got to go down for the third M20, who was Stan Heap. Joe Hudd was the fastest M18, then Matt Gooch, then Flurry Grierson. And if we look finally at the W18s and 20s, who shared the same um, course, Neve Hunter won this one, uh, followed by Ailey Campbell. And then the third W20 was Ellie Bales. Uh, then the 18s, Alice Wilson was fastest, followed by Rachel Duckworth and then Rachel Brown. Grace Malloy, 10th. She was six minutes down mm. on the lead with a lot of kind of fastest controls. But actually, she lost... 10 minutes on the sixth control so that was pretty she and she also lost mm, one and a half minutes on the eighth 
Yeah, so it was really that sixth control. So thinking she she lost 10 minutes there on the the fastest leg on on that control, you know, she would have won by 4 minutes. So, ooh, costly costly mistake. Which control was it again? The sixth. The sixth. Ah, so yeah, coming out of the light green into the white forest, having to cross over a load of spurs and and streams, so probably just got height wrong. Ended up on the wrong um wrong platform level looking for a crag tough very easy to make mistakes when you're changing between those different types of terrain and that's really mm. like what good course planners will look to do is look to be throwing you into all different types of terrain whether that's middle distance well all the all the disciplines they want to be making sure you having to adapt to the different challenges that they post yeah definitely and it's quite it was quite a steep downhill coming into it out of the green and i remember from the event that we did there in january i got thrown off my line there by just you just going down the hill, you just want to find a nice bit of runability and you maybe follow mm. it too long and your body's going, oh, well, this is needs a bit, this helps me get through. And actually you just lose time by going offline. So, yeah, yeah easy, very easily done. But um, probably the biggest mistake Grace has made for quite a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> get it out of the way now before the competitions. Well, I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see soon about those selections. Well, as seems to frequently happen with the podcast, we record a thing and then by the time I come to edit it or it goes out on air, we've had some more news. So we've actually now got all the selections for uh, both the British Orienteering Talent Camp and for the EJOC. Um, so we'll go through that one first. Uh, the men selected Matt Gooch, Flurry Grierson, Joe Hudd, Max Mobus, Pete Malloy, Ewan Musgrave, Dan Spencer, Ben Squire, Alistair Thomas and Ewan Triner. So huge congratulations to all of those. And on the women's side, Rachel Brown, Ailey Campbell, Rachel Duckworth, Neve Hunter, Grace Malloy, Lizzie Stansfield and Alice Wilson. So huge congrats to everyone who's going to be selected for those European kind of youth and junior championships. Interesting to see slightly more men than women and I don't know whether that's because I know some of the athletes have made themselves unavailable for selection based on you know issues around the virus um, but still a really really strong team assembled so look forward to seeing all those in action uh, at the end of October and in terms of the talent camp which was meant to run alongside the Welsh in July now postponed to October the selections are um, Adam Barry, Ben Gostick, Sam Griffin, Tommy Heap, Jamie Lightfoot, Adam Methven, Max Mobus, Guy Owen and Katrina Chapman Alex Crawshaw, Hannah Kingham, Isabel Howard, Alice Kemsley, Faith Kenyon, Iris McMillan, Imogen Peters and Isabel Sunley. So huge congrats to all of those uh, selected for that. I know a lot of those, or almost all of them, um, were on the Lagunia last year, so I ended up coaching them. So absolutely fantastic for all of those. And uh, we'll go back to the podcast now. And one of those races, as we said, the selections are for is the European Youth Champs, European Junior Champs, which are the 24th to the 26th of October in Hungary. Last kind of communication about it was on the 26th of September, saying it was still likely to go ahead for various reasons. And they said the current requirements for entry um, from the UK, which is like a red country, uh, are an invitation letter from the organisers and two negative tests from within the last 120 hours of entry. Those two tests made 48 hours apart. So those are the conditions of uh, being able to go to Hungary and take part in the event, basically. Um, okay. Yes. 
Mm. So you've got to go and get your brain scraped before yeah. going over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, have a yeah, swab pushed yeah, so far up your nose it feels like it's going into your brain, yeah. That's what my mum said when she's had her tests done as well. So um so twenty fourth, twenty sixth of October, of course, a lot could change um until then, but we'll keep an eye on it. Could well be like one of the only you know, only few international events taking place and another international event as we've been talking about for it seems like loads and loads of podcasts we're so looking forward to it because it's the only thing in the calendar is euro (laughs) meeting in czech republic surprise surprise um the czech team norwegians the swedes have 12 men and 12 women entered finland have 10 of each gb 28 men and 20 women goodness me Going strong, uh, packing out that very, really very, very strong. It's wow, it's a lot. So packing the um, the start list, packing the, the results. No mm. team from the likes of Denmark or Switzerland, though. Um, I think they may. Some teams will just decide not to not to go. They don't want that COVID risk or whatever. Have decided that as a team, or decided it was not going to be useful to do, to have you know to go um but now the czech republic as of recording this because i feel we have to say that every single time is now on the quarantine list in the uk so meaning you have to quarantine for two weeks um if you do go will how would that affect you you're on the start list you're you've entered uh or and have you heard anything from anybody else yeah, so there's not been too much chat from many people now i've, I've spoken to a couple of people about it and um it seems like people are probably going to go one way or the other. You know, obviously, as as we're talking, we're two months out from from the races themselves. Um, so I guess now is about the time you want to start specifically building up towards them anyway and, and focusing your training towards them, which is my plan, what I'm going to do. Um, for me personally, it's not going to change anything. Um, they're the only things really that I can do this year and they've been my target for the last last few months and what I've been gearing things towards um obviously if they get cancelled they get cancelled more than prepared for that eventuality I'm quite lucky in my position that um I've been working from home since March um you know currently working from a different location at the moment as we speak um compared to my normal place so I work I'm not going to be back in my office until I don't know January anyway so I can just quarantine from home and work from there so it's no major issue for me. For other people who are either starting university courses, you know, starting new jobs um, or, or changing jobs at this time, as a couple of people are, uh, it's obviously creating a little bo- bit more of an issue. Um, hopefully mm. they'll be allowed the dispensation to go, um, as most offices have been incredibly flexible in the last six months anyway. You know, you'd think that they'd be allowed that option, um, especially if it's to represent the country. But yeah, for mm-hmm. me, it doesn't change anything, really. I'm still mm-hmm. going to go. I'll deal with the quarantine when I get back. I've planned in a little break afterwards anyway, um, mm-hmm. you know, just in case it got put on the quarantine list. And <laughs> then it did. And, and there's still two months, so it might get removed. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully it does get removed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Um, we, again, we're going to keep an eye on it, um, provide any updates and, and try and figure out what people are, you know, thinking and whether people are going to head over there. But, um, you know, it could be one of the, you know, the top race of the year. So we will wait mm. and see. Well, definitely the relay, 28 Brits. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a sea of red, white and blue. There's going to be more teams than the British champs. Yeah, I actually joking yeah. aside, it might be. 
<laughs> yeah, I know you're right. Actually, it could be more British well, teams it, anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, 28 men. You know, that's like that's nine teams. So, yeah, yeah. exciting. Who's well, gonna be that um, one guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll move away from from racing and onto the main interview of this week's episode. And Catherine, you sat down with Georgia Jones to chat through her. Um, well, I, I won't give anything away, um, but yeah, essentially how to set up an orienteering club. So Georgia, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, for those who don't know who you are, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I am Georgia. I grew up uh, in Australia, but I was actually born in the UK. Um, so I did all. My, I kind of started orienteering when I was in Australia, um, and then I came back here for university. And then in my first year, I set up the club at Exeter, um, and kind of led it for three years until my final year. Uh, and then I graduated, handed it over to a to a full on committee. Um, yeah, and that's where nice. I am now. Well, where, where, how come you started orienteering? What led you to it? Um, it was, it was just a family thing. Like we did it, we did it here when I was really little. We went to the Scottish Six Day and all the big events, and then we went over to Australia, uh, and we kept doing it there. Um, and that's kind of when I really got into it because they do all these state competitions. Um, so you get to travel around Australia and um, you go on like a mini bus. It's really fun. Um, mm. And also, you know, it's. It, it's um, quite close-knit uh, in Australia because it's a bit smaller than the UK. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of why. It was just family-based and then kind of got into it through all these state competitions and, yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I mean, I wanted to talk to you because of you founding the Exeter Uni Club. Um, so yeah. kind of why did you start it in the first place? What, what led you to <laughs> sitting down and being like, right, I'm going to start an orienteering club? Uh, that's a good question um really I mean this might be controversial but I really started the club for practical reasons like I I loved orienteering I'm not the best orienteer in the world I was a humanities student at university um and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life my resume was pretty empty so I was like how do I create an opportunity here um and that's kind of the main motivator but of course it wasn't the reason why you know I kept doing it um I, you know, I really, really enjoyed setting it up and it was something that I'd hoped to do and talked about in Australia before I headed over. Um, mm. But it was really just kind of like, how do I help myself at university and getting out <laughs> of university? Um, which, yeah, which ended up really going really well. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I totally agree. Like, so many people go to university these days, you kind of need to do more in your time there than just doing your degree because everybody has one of those. So yeah, you do need to do that bit extra. So was it just you at the start? Were there were there any other like you know, I say actual orienteers, orienteers who've done the sport beforehand who were actually there? So no, not really. Um so my brother was in Bristol at the time and Ubox quite an old ongoing club. So mm. I went over and I did you know the Lake District weekend that happens in November? Yes. Yeah, I went up and did one of those with Ubok just to kind of see what was going on because I was the only one at Exeter that I could see that actually was orienteering in the sense that we've orienteered. Like, mm. but there are other people who can orienteer and have, like, you know, part of scouts and expedition clubs, but it's, it's not quite the same thing in a very, like, no. niche sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so, um, yeah, I just had to go up to 
the Lake District weekend, see what was going on, see how it all happened. And yeah, U-Book ended up being really, I'm rambling here, but U-Book was actually a really useful club like throughout the whole time I was there because we like collaborated. They were really helpful for like, this is when Bucks is, this is when mm-hmm. this event is, this is when that event is. Um, because, because yeah, I mean, in Australia, this might be controversial again, but from what I can see about Australia, um, they don't have the same style university clubs as the UK do, mm-hmm. as the UK do. Um, so I found the U book, you know, was a great kind of example, even though they weren't actual orientees at Exeter. Yeah, well, I mean, the orient the university orienteering scene in the UK goes back years and years and years and years you know my mum being part of Sheffield University orienteering club and still like Edinburgh and Sheffield being the two biggest clubs for orienteering but then actually like setting one up at a university that hasn't done orienteering before where you've not got like loads of orienteers attending that's a totally Mm. different thing Mm. Mm. that's so cool I had no idea it went back that far back Mm. that's crazy yeah no my mum was it my mum was Shuok my 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 grandma was called Shuok Mum when she was there because no like, you know, she was my mum's like she well my grandma didn't go to the Sheffield University but she was like around uh, in the area like you know at the same events so yeah no like there's, there's people there's like now second generation people who are because then I was in Shuok when I did my masters up in Sheffield so oh. you know I'm a second generation and I wasn't even the first one to do that so yeah yeah that's crazy. <laughs> That's men- that's mental, damn. Yeah, but then you like I'm so interested in the like the the other, um, you know the other universities, mm. not those two main ones. Because I was at mm. Durham and we had um, we had a few really really good people. We had um, yeah. Peter Gray, we had Lucy Butt, we had Judy Emerson, yeah, um, Anya McCann, um, Irish um, runner, and but then we still were trying to have to, we had to do a lot to kind of keep the club going after yeah. kind of I left because we didn't really have any regular yeah. orienteers remaining yeah Durham was an interesting one actually like because I kind of saw them at a few events and then I wouldn't and then yeah um oh that's cool yeah just, so so but, how um, did you how did you actually kind of start yeah um, with doing the club then so basically I just talked a lot to a lot of different people because <laughs> I, it's like you said like the resource out there if you're trying to do the orienteering that we do you know with specific flags we've got specific maps mm. compasses it's a really set like you have to do it properly if you want to do it right so I kind of just started looking I looked at the local club I talked to boff um and then I mean I couldn't find anyone near me uh, who knew how to orienteer so I just roped in a whole bunch of flatmates and course mates and I was like you'll be a great treasurer you can be my secretary <laughs> and they were great <laughs> um oh, wow yeah I remember when I first decided I wanted to set it up my best mate Maddie sat me down and she just ran me through all the requirements of the guild to our student union and like the welfare and our plan and like transport like coaches how we were going to do it um Dan who was my other course mate wrote up so many reports and drove us everywhere bless him because we didn't have a car at that point obviously um Meg my course mate I mean not my course mate my housemate um got roped into being treasurer and wrote up so many budgets for the grants we were applying to um even the social social slash publicity sex that it's James Zach and Jamie who almost never went orienteering put a ton of energy into the socials and publicity um yeah it was 
it was I definitely could not have done half of what I achieved or Orox achieved really um, without any of them. I mean, even the designs like Maddie um, ended up she drew the actual logo and um, an orienteer in New Zealand called Stuart designed the shirt. Like, there's no way I couldn't have done any of that. Yeah, I mean, even our coach, like Max, did a ton of physical training and he was in final year. So yeah, it kind of went from there. I think Devin were like the number one key to me actually getting from zero to hero though, because as soon as I sent the email, they were like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let me set up a meeting. And then I went to their committee meeting and um, they were like, okay, you're, you're on the board now. You're coming at like every Wednesday that we meet up um, and we'll make sure that, you know, you don't <laughs> disappear. And they gave us like the maps and the they've done a whole bunch of like training collaborations. They've helped us get to events. They've yeah, I think they've drawn some maps up for us um, around the area because like Exeter's barely has any maps at all that you can train mm. on. So Devon were amazing. They just kind of like blossomed with all these resources. But I was like <laughs> perfect. And then the, the yeah the committee. The the funny thing is, the committee really didn't need any proper orienteers except for. The president, just so they knew yeah. what was going on. And then the coach, so one of the guys had done, you know, do you know the OM, the original Mountain Marathon? Yep. Yeah. Yep. He'd done one of those. Uh, and I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> that's yeah, that's cool. something, yes. <laughs> we'll tell you. you. <laughs> Literally. And he was our, our coach, and he, that was good enough, really. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think for our first year, and it was probably key, we were just weren't, super super competitive we were just kind of I was just like anyone who wants to join this club is welcome I don't care if you've never read a map in your life I want you in this club now <laughs> um and then as we kind of we branched out I I mean I did athletics anyway so I talked mm -hmm. to athletics I was like you know can I can I do like a collaboration with you can I anything and we did a collaboration that's when we got some runners who were going to be a bit more competitive I remember mm. one of the people who ended up who ended up oh he just blossomed like when he joined us he I'll start from the beginning when he joined us he was kind of like like where are the races like you're just doing training like we need to go to events and I was like oh my god you're right wow <laughs> yeah fine <laughs> let's go um so he we went to a few events and then the first one he went to I was like, do you need shadowing? Like, you're just, you've just done track. <laughs> like, do you, want think, do you want any help at all? And he was like, no, it's fine. I, I know what I'm doing. And he went out and did a brown. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Literally on Dartmoor. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy is going to get lost. But you know what? It's his own fault. And he came back <laughs> and he did it. And the only thing, he'd, he'd missed punch because of a butterfly loop or something. Um, and I was like, man, like you smashed it. You did so well. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what are the brown things on the map? And I was like, <gasps> you mean the earth walls and, and the pits that all the contours, like, you know, all the controls are in? Oh, my uh, gosh. I know. You managed just... to find them not knowing what contours <laughs> I know. were. <laughs> I know. Oh, But honestly, wow. as soon as you start an orienteering club, I swear people just take it into their own hands. So first year was really just, me just doing whatever the hell people wanted you know to do with the club mm. uh, and then in second year it was the same sort of thing like people were starting to say you know we want to do trail running we want to do weekends and I was like I mean yeah <laughs> let's do it um so it was really kind of open and I do this you know what you can cut this out but I do wonder <laughs> sometimes if that's where university clubs pull up short is if they focus too much on like the elite part of it they really miss mm. out on 
the other stuff, like the longer trail runny casual stuff, and I don't know. Well, all missed out runs. on. I think a, a big kind of role of a university club is to get new people on board to the sport. It's about exactly. you know. Pushing the elites is a big formative part of kind of the end of junior years, beginning of senior. But actually, like a lot of it is also about as it's a big, big moment when a lot of people join the sport. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So I think you have to put enough energy into into doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is it is energy because with normal orientees, you can just you know send them out and you don't have to worry and they'll know what they're doing. But with beginners, I mean, you really do have to take care of them for the first mm. few weeks or months and you know but also if you're if you're just you're putting on i think you were you putting on training every week like that's a lot of stuff to be doing like even if you're just armchair planning you've still got to put all the controls out do the training yeah. take that in or, or even if you're doing classroom <laughs> sessions like it's not a small amount of work oh to be a humanities student <laughs> <laughs> you and me both oh really oh nice what do you study uh history Oh, amazing. Oh, love a history student. They were always the <laughs> most you, fun. What did you study? I studied PPE, so I was politics, uh-huh. philosophy and economics. Nice, um, nice. I had so much free time in my first year. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're like a rare breed among orienteers, yeah. not being a scientist. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Will's the same. Will did, hi- Will did history. Oh, really? Mm. Look at us. Look yeah. at us humanity students. <laughs> we're thriving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah so it's just like well yeah i guess is was that how you were able to fit it all in the fact that you only had like six hours a week of contact hours you know what it 100 percent was like first year i had so much free time um and i was able to do like you said so we had a training session on wednesday and then we had so i wasn't doing events in the in the first term so i would just run my own um and just on this map that Devon had created for us before we'd started. So this is my sec. Oh, this is my second year. Okay, well, mm. yeah, I still had time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my grade suffered a little bit, but um, but it, it, yeah, I had a lot more time than like if I was an engineering or math student, I genuinely don't think I could have done it. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, once you sort of start going, we had our coach and and people start chipping in and. But yeah, second year was definitely a experimental year. I made a lot of mistakes um, in terms of I didn't know how to bring people together and like really get them into orienteering. Like I knew how to train them, and like you got people at freshers who wanted to do it and and learn about it. But I didn't quite get the the bit, but you know the connection between the actual sport and then the community of the sport. Yeah, I need to like yeah. join it together somehow. And I didn't really kind of figure well, that out. No, I I think I struggled with the same thing as well. I think a lot of people who would be interested in orienteering are like take a while to come out of their shell, or they're not necessarily the most extroverted people as well. 100%. So it's really hard. I'm really interested because I'll ask you how you did it, and then I'll respond with what I learned from this. Nice. Like how how did you sell orienteering to newbies? You're you know, you're at your freshest fair, you've got your mm-hmm. desk, you've got your mm-hmm. table, you've got your controls and your maps and your videos and all that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. how do you how did you describe the sport to get people who's who would stick at mm. it? Mm. Um okay. For Freshers Week, it was a hundred percent like 
time on like advertising. So we, mm. I spent a lot of time on the flyers to make sure they looked beautiful, like 100% what someone would want coming to Exeter. Like it was like this picture of Dartmoor and it was like this shiny flyer. And I, and I set myself and like two other people and then on one area and then someone else on the other area. And we just handed out flyers like nothing else. Um, and then once we got to the desk, I mean, once you get to the desk, they've already kind of made the decision whether they're going to choose you or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I pr- probably it was, I think my selling point when it last year, which I did much. So my first, so my first year I was like, I have no idea what I'm trying to sell here. Like it's, you know, you're running <laughs> with a map, but a compass and you know, that's what we're doing. Um, but in my second year I was a lot more organized. So I sold the freshers weekend. I was like, you know, weekend out in Dartmoor, everyone's going to want to do that when they're a fresher. Um, mm. I was selling the trip to the Lake District. I was saying we were going to go to O'Regan, rest in peace O'Regan 2020. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to go to O'Regan this summer. Um, so really selling like the travel and exploration bit of it because 100% freshers wouldn't want to, they're not necessarily there to learn. They kind of want to do the bit where you explore and you go out and you do trips and you know really get everywhere Mm. so that was kind Mm. of my selling point how did you do it well I so you already mentioned you what mistakes you made and I think Mm. the biggest mistake I made with the club was the first year that I was so it must have been the start of my second year Mm. I was kind of on the desk and I was kind of telling people oh you know it's a sport for everybody like you can do you do it in your own pace you know we teach you how to do it and all Mm. that kind of stuff and then people came along and then maybe who were kind of walkers I think walkers have a place in orienteering but I think they got to an event and were like yeah oh most people are running this isn't for me and we're kind of scared off at that point I hadn't really thought enough about like what type of people should be I think should be getting into the sport or are likely to like stick at it and then in my third year I was selling it a lot more like you know it's a proper sport like you run like it's really adventurous Mm. um you know it's like really you know it's really fun but it's it's it is a proper sport um and that for me that proper sport is like a lot of what's kind of continued me through what I've been saying a lot since graduating yeah but really trying to like sell it as that I was a lot more successful in getting people who not really done that much before or at all but then Mm. actually still stuck at it once they went to an event you know I had someone run like a whole extra kilometer beyond the control on Arthur's seat and like you know it was like crazy mistakes like that but then I yeah. got people who were interested enough that you know they were captains and whatever yeah. presidents or whatever you want to call it when I'd gone so yeah, yeah. I learned that was definitely the biggest mistake like trying to sell it as a sport that- for all that's a really good point because I was trying to capture everyone and I was saying, you know, you can walk, mm. you can run, whatever. But 100%, once you actually got out into the field, it was the walkers that obviously dropped off because either they're going to have to take care of themselves or, you know, they they get left well, they'd behind. they'd be out for ages, you know, they'd be yeah. out for ages and not enjoy it. Mm, mm, yeah, it's tricky. I think, yeah, I think, I, you know what? I totally agree with you. I think I subconsciously did that in the second year. The final year was like, this is a sport. Yeah. Really good approach. Because it is. Yeah, well, I, it's it's something that I realised that actually you need to... 
well, in marketing in general, like you need to be targeting your specific audiences mm. rather than just being like, oh, everybody can have a go. Because, well, so you know, we want to be accessible and inclusive. And yes, everybody can have a go, but you're unlikely to like it if you're a couch potato or, you know, like yeah. people yeah. who don't like being outside, don't like navigating, definitely. don't like the challenge. So, yeah. yeah, definitely felt like then we were able to kind of get get people to stick at it which I think mm. is obviously the most important thing because institution universities have a three-year memory because people are only around for three years and you've got a plan for the future yeah yeah it's a really good way of putting it it's, it's almost yeah. how all- how do you feel like you've you know got for the legacy that you've left behind with that <laughs> the legacy <laughs> no but a hundred percent like as a president you're a captain as well weren't you mm yeah as a captain it's almost always on your mind how am I gonna make sure this club stays together when I leave like it's the worst legacy of all to have it fall (laughs) apart the year you leave um Mm. so yeah my second year I was testing a lot of different things but my third year a hundred percent went for it like pulled out all the stops um so yeah so I knew that like I had to grow the club and I also had to bring people together so much they wanted to be in the committee because I didn't have a committee um Mm. in my final year that I you know how you just know some people will step up in that year for the next year I didn't have those people um so I was kind of just looking for ways to bond them together so one of them was Freshers Weekend which was really good because you just took them out on this big minibus and everyone was crammed together and that sort of thing and and then you kind of do another weekend trip here and then you know we had really good socials not necessarily boozy but just like general socials and it ended up being something that it wasn't a chore anymore because at the beginning it definitely was because I was kind of pushing it all the time and like organizing a lot of it and um, by the end of it it was quite naturally happening on its own so we ended up getting a committee almost completely like it was like six out of seven or maybe five out of seven who'd started in my final year um oh. yeah so nice. so yeah yeah I don't know <laughs> there's always a little bit of magic involved isn't there <laughs> yeah yeah and a bit of luck with you know people kind of enjoying it enough and feeling like they've got the confidence to take it on so you Definitely. did you, do you also do a training weekend in the lakes yeah, we went to the November Lake District, which coincidentally I'd actually organised um, <laughs> uh, as part of BOF. Because I was setting up um, OROX, um, I was talking quite a lot with uh, Phil Conway, who was the, used mm-hmm. to be the development officer. Um, and he kind of said, you know, in the summer, do you want to come down and do some stuff for the universities? And um, doing that November thing was one of them. But yeah, November trip was a weekend trip. We did Dartmoor. We did one else. Oh, we did the Bristol and Bath. So Bristol University and Bath University came down to Dartmoor and we did a kind of collab trip, which was so good. Like, I just, as soon as you get proper, I mean, I remember it was Matthew Pembry and Peter Dobra, who were the main Mm -hmm. organisers, as well as me, obviously. Um, And they had so many new ideas. (gasps) And I was like, (laughs) where have you been? (laughs) It was so much fun. Um, Because, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah those are the three trips and then coronavirus sort of knocked out the other ones we had I think we had 
one more in term in the second term and we were supposed to have Bucks, which should have been mm. amazing. I'm actually so bitter that I didn't get to go to Bucks in my final year. <laughs> Why? Because you you would have had a half decent team or like we, you know, we had to bring so people many along. People. We had like I don't even know, it was like fifteen people, we had a mini bus and I was like oh. cross checking with Bath. I was like, I'm making sure I have more than you and <laughs> Bristol. Um but alas it was not meant to be. Oh well. How was your? You must have. Did you do bucks in the first year of the club? Yeah, uh, I didn't go in the fir- in my first year, but in yeah my second year, first year of the club, we did go. It was all the way up in Edinburgh. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know. I was. Did you I drive did... all the way up there? No way. We uh, you flew. Great. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, we flew. Yeah. Well, that was the big thing. Like when I first started this, the first year of Orox. I was kind of like, how the hell do we get up to Edinburgh? Because it's so much money and I, there's no way I'm going to convince like more than me to pay that much to get up there. Um, but luckily our, our athletics union chipped in and said, this this is awesome. They, I mean, it's really easy to get bucks points um, yes. yeah. for orienteering, which is great. Um, we actually ended up getting more bucks points than the athletics team. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, yeah, which is great. Really good to, easy to advertise the next year. Um, mm. but yeah anyway yeah that was that was Bucks Edinburgh which was such a good trip and all the people from the Bucks Edinburgh, Edinburgh trip as well stayed on like one of them became the coach one of them did drew up two different maps for us based in like Exeter nice. City Centre one of them's now social secretary for the fall, like this year um yeah, Bucks is did, Bucks is magic. <laughs> did you did you lose anybody on Bucks? I as a from my experience, and I think I've told the story some of these stories on the podcast before. I have never had a Bucks that didn't go. There well, there wasn't an interesting story from, shall we say? <laughs> oh no way! <laughs> what was your interesting story? Um, first year, someone didn't really kind of wasn't in a good position to run after the social or ready for the relay so I had to go in the first team with the relay the second year we uh nearly lost somebody in the forest but only because they had a really really late start time and they shouldn't have had a really really late oh, start God. time very competent oriented just took a lot of while yeah had to, we were the last ones there third year again we lost somebody after the night out who oh, was there with some mates <laughs> didn't turn up didn't wake up until after the relay on the sunday no yeah. oh my god <laughs> yeah. that was I, a bit, that was the year i was captain and it was it was stressful <laughs> oh my god that's so horrible hopefully you didn't have anything like that well i don't think i brought enough people to have that we there were only five <laughs> of us including me i think the biggest thing was I'd been training these poor people for so long. I'd done like, you know, classroom seminars with them. I got like route gadget up on like a big board and like showing them all different routes and and we'd and they'd done their own like planning over the actual Edinburgh maps. Oh wow, impressive. I know. I was determined to not lose any of them. And then it got to the relay and I swear I mispunched on the last control. <gasps> no. I was the one that let them down. Oh so sad. <laughs> no. Oh, I had to be the last control in this punch. Oh, goodness I me. Know. Oh, well. They were cheering me on as well. They watched me do it. 
Oh, no. What, did you just not register or something? Like, you no. punched the control? I was way too pumped to be finishing. I was like, woohoo! Like, we're smashing it. We're beating Bristol, which, like, my brother's part of. That's the competition there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was hearing them cheer, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the best. And then <laughs> I punched the finish, and they were like, oh, you, you mispunched. <laughs> and they didn't stop you and say, go back to punch the control. Did they see you punch the control? No, I didn't push the control. I ran straight oh. past it. Oh man, <laughs> it was. Oh, that's so just sad. that's just like an ending that would. Yeah. Oh well, at least you didn't lose anybody. <laughs> we didn't lose anyone, and we still came eighth. Like the women's team still came eighth somehow. Right. So I know. I was like, you know nice. what? This is. I'm not gonna cry. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, yeah. Oh well. Well, yeah. Hopefully, you know, it's been rearranged. Hopefully, it can happen um, again soon. But I also want to. I think one of <laughs> an interesting challenge that I faced and I think you must have done as well is transport to events because oh my god we had like one Adam Poole who was doing a PhD who was like an absolute (laughs) legend he was the only one with a car Uh, often sometimes he didn't go and yeah it was a bit crazy Honestly, transport was the biggest problem that I had in my f- when I was setting it up because it's the one thing that you can't buy a car. We couldn't even mm. rent a car really because we didn't have any money. But luckily, what my housemate, who became my treasurer, and my secretary, mm. who be- who was one of my best mates from my course, had a cars themselves. And then our coach from the expedition society had a car. So first year was fine, but it, by second year. It's like first year, kind of when we were warming up and everything. So second year, which is like the proper year, first year of Orogs, um, <laughs> I found this guy from Devon who um, who was old enough to drive a minibus, and mm. yeah, that was kind of the end of it for him. He um, never really escaped Orogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing because like I got a few lifts from some people in Northern Navigators quite a lot, and they were really, really great and really generous. But like, yeah, you felt like you didn't always want to be asking them the whole time yeah, or you know exactly. like getting in the way the whole time yeah exactly yeah luckily what happened was so his name was martin shout out to martin he's the best um <laughs> and he was an alumni of um exeter as, as a matter of fact so he was based near exeter and he didn't because Devon's so big they sometimes <laughs> struggle to put events on always in the same area like it's usually like dartmoor and then like to the north and then to the south and they're all kind of quite far away um so he was really happy that there was going to be basically an event every weekend in Exeter oh. so he ended up just becoming part of the club and so he, he was less of a less of a local club person as just part of Orox I think he was our yeah. first alumni member <laughs> and then he brought one of along along like a colleague or something who used to do orienteering who also had a car so it was great. I mean, yeah, it it really sorted itself out somehow. But you're right. It's one of those things that if you don't have it, then there's nothing you can do. Mm. And again, Northern Navigators is a really small club and there were about two mm. families who were, you know, it's a small area, but, you know, there's like two main families in the club who were really, yeah. really great. But, you know, I feel like if you, you know, Sheffield to work in partnership with South Yorkshire and, you know, mm. all the Edinburgh clubs and, you know, it's a lot easier to to if you're working alongside a, a big club that's got loads of areas loads of people loads of events to, yeah. to collaborate with i'm glad that next year martin will be there for the club because otherwise yeah what, what are you gonna do and all the orienteering events are really remote as well you can't catch a bus there 
Well, no, exactly. You can't get there on public transport. I know, like, mm. South London Club make a big effort to kind of, like, put on the public transport details for whenever they hold stuff. But, you know, if you're out mm. in Devon, oh, then smart. no. <laughs> or if you're in Durham yeah. or whatever, there's no public transport anywhere. Oh, really? Oh, God. Yeah. So, a bit kind of bad. I'm wondering, mm. do you feel like there was a, quite a lot of competition in terms of the people you might have attracted to orienteering from competition from other sports i feel like triathlon is now such a big thing Ooh. that i feel like people we could have got from triathlon you know mm-hmm. people we could have got into orienteering you mm-hmm. know there's loads of you know the brownies and all the olympic stuff and loads mm. of funding and it's very sexy and lots of money <laughs> spent on it you know it looks great you know like all the setups all the world series stuff yeah. and they're kind of stealing a lot of our athletes did you do you have any thoughts on that that's really interesting. Um, I think when I was there, I was a, in a growth mindset. So I wasn't kind of... So so the whole time I was there, we were growing. So I didn't feel like we were stealing anything. In fact, for the <laughs> most part, I felt like I was stealing from other people. So I was, I was looting quite a few people from athletics. Mm. I never really... I don't know if it was because I wasn't involved in triathlon, but they were quite a big sport um, in Exeter. But I just never really got involved with them or felt like they were the sort of people that I could loot. Um, <laughs> not, I don't know if loot is the word. What's the word? It's like steal. I don't steal. Know yeah, steal them from triathlon. Steal. Yes, Come yeah. over to the dark side of our own Come to the dark side. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I would always go for people who'd done cross country or, uh, yeah, I don't know. Really, my, I mean, my, my recruitment tactic, which is also quite um, quite controversial, is you go to the socials in athletics and then you just mm. talk to people about orienteering, like, as much as you could. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they'd be like, oh, you know what? That actually sounds really good. I'm like, great. You're coming to the next one. I've got your seat in the car already. <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> um, and that was just the best so you went to- out on you went out to socials with that exact purpose? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah, athletics was super supportive. Like, when I was in my first year, the president of athletics was a girl called Penny, and she'd done orienteering before, like, mm. almost to a, not elite standard, but, like, that level, state level, regional level. Um, so she got it, and she kind of helped set up the relationship, and um, that was kind of from there. Like, there was all sorts of jumping across and, and, you know, socials. But, yeah, interesting about triathlon. I didn't even think about that. Maybe I should have thought more deeply about that. Well, it's, it's only because I've had a good few years after graduating to think about all these things. <laughs> um, did, you, did you also get kind of extra things from your athletic union as for kind of scoring bucks points? Because we, some of our kind of elite group, and even some, it was open to quite a lot of the club could do strength mm. and conditioning stuff put on because we were bucks points scorers. Oh. Did you have anything like that? See, I really wanted to get into the athletics union. I felt like if I did that, then I would just like, my side would be fine. I wouldn't have to worry about it. But we had, they have quite a strict process where you have to do three years. You have to be three years for like an actual club. Um, oh, wow. And then you have to score bucks points every single year. And then you have to get voted on unanimously by the 50 societies or clubs that are in the athletics union already. Um, so it was kind of, Wow. We didn't get any rewards, but they still paid for us to, like, they still funded us to go to Bucks competitions because, you know, it was so obvious that we were going to get points for it. Um, mm. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it was it was just too difficult to get actually get onto their union. Um, 
And to be honest, it was quite expensive as well once you were on it. So that's why okay. the reason, you know, why the reason why all the sports societies were so expensive was because they were having to, you know, process this um, AU fee. Um, wow. That works differently at different universities then, because I don't think we had to do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, enough of our people were, like, kind of elites people mm. and then we were scoring bucks points that we could get some kind of various different levels of support for different people so oh wow yeah, it's kind of interesting wow durham's um, on it maybe extra just wasn't <laughs> <laughs> i love extra i'm well, kidding uh, durham likes to sell itself on its sport it likes to make mm. a big deal about its team sport in particularly so maybe that's mm. that thing maybe. i've got one, one major last question on oh actually i've still got a few on uh, <laughs> on the setting up the club was there any is there anything that you'd do differently if you did it again mm. um i wonder i think i don't think i could change anything you know what i mean when you when you've done something over such a like you know you you you're happy with where you ended up so i don't know if i could change anything i think i would probably find martin sooner um mm. <laughs> but, but to be honest like a lot of the things that happened well in the in my final year only happened because i set them up in my second year so like our coach um the reason why our coach even wanted to like Oh, her name's Inga. Um, she's Norwegian and she came from Scouts. Um, mm. And I basically, she, you know, didn't, she knew a bit about navigation, but not a lot. And she came through um, the first year of OROX. And then for the second year, she just took it on. She ended up winning this year's, or is it last year's, Volunteer of the Year. <laughs> um, just, nice. She did so much for the club. So it's kind of like, I made a lot of mistakes in my second year. So I would, the training sessions would always kind of, like sometimes they would fall through because you know if it's only me or this other person running it and we're overloaded with a bunch of different things it just wasn't regular um so for the second year she was like right this is what we're doing this is when we're doing it and this is how we're doing it and we ended up doing it perfectly it's not very helpful actually when I think about it I think um <laughs> if I could do it differently I would do more weekend trips earlier like, they were mm -hmm. such a good bonding experience and everyone wanted to do them. Like, we sold out our tickets within, like, the day that they were released. Nice. Um, and we took about 15 people on the trip and all 15 people stayed um, and, like, continue, like, basically continued growing that community together because it just bonded everyone. And, yeah, I just felt like it just cemented the society very, very early on, got all the freshers on board, and then from there, it kind of grew on itself. So I think for any club who wants to, you know, kickstart or restart or grow weekend trips, we weren't even doing actual events. I think we were just doing, you know, training and then we went to the pub afterwards, we stayed at a scout hut. Um, yeah. Yeah, but got you know, well, it's exactly right. It's the balance of the training and the social exactly. side. But not in terms of like, let's all go out you know and yeah get pissed but like you know <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's the casual social side it's spending time together in the pub it's like sleeping on those scout hut floors exactly <laughs> that you know that is the bonding experience you know exactly um, yeah it makes sense exactly so, i mean you've graduated now mm. uh, do you do you know what the club are doing in the upcoming year do you have any idea kind of covid related like what, yeah what's going to be yeah. going on i know 
I felt so bad just dropping them into this sort of thing, but they are so much more prepared than I am. <laughs> um, so basically, Exeter lets them do... So they have to do virtual events, but they get one physical event per week for, like, per society. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm sure they'll do some orienteering event or something, but they're super on it. Like, they've already released their marketing materials for, like, who's on the committee, which we definitely didn't do when I was president. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I have complete faith in them and we have someone coming back the following year that will probably get involved again and yeah, I think I think I think it'll be fine. Fingers crossed. Otherwise wow. I'll have to go back for a PhD or a master's or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, what like what are you doing now since graduating? Are you gonna be putting your orienteering efforts in in, in another direction? <laughs> um I'm wor- I mean I'm just working for a, a company that I interned for during my second year um just doing that for them at the moment because obviously covid postponed all the graduate schemes so i should Mm -hmm. be starting my grad scheme in in january i'm just working from home for this e-commerce company which is doing really well because you know all these websites like all these stores are realizing they have to go digital um because of you know because no one's going to the stores they have to you know provide another option yeah, found a good opportunity there, riding yeah, away, yeah. Lucky. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm not doing much orienteering wise. I know there's um there's always things that things that Boff are doing. I think there's a real challenge still in making if if it's possible at all, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but getting the link between high school students who haven't necessarily done proper orienteering but like know a little bit of it and then university and and mm. like choosing orienteering when you go into that university and choosing an orienteering society and staying with it I think mm. there's there's efforts going into that but I wonder if that's where the effort should be concentrated you know yeah I think it's easy you know if you're really really keen and especially if you choose and you know if you choose your university based on orienteering mm. because let's be real some people do Mm. then you know that's quite easy but yeah you could be pretty good and I know a lot of people particularly when they start university that's when they kind of drop off the the radar Mm. and also and and I'm sure you've experienced the same I talk to a lot of new people a lot of people know what orienteering is in that they know it's got about a map and a compass and all that kind of thing but they don't really understand what the sport is maybe they've seen it from scouts or from school but they don't know that actually it's a run and it's against the clock and at the the highest level not that everybody should be competing at the highest at the highest level it's so intense and it's just you know it's one of the most physically and mentally demanding sports um and people don't really see that yeah yeah, 100%. And I think it is discouraging as well, if that's the first thing you hear. So, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the, it's getting the niche bit of it and getting people into their own niche. Because that's the reason why I love it. Like, I don't think I would enjoy it if it was just a casual walk around a park with a map. Like, mm-hmm. it's the competitiveness that makes it, it fun. Um, mm. but how so did you... you feel like you had to bust a few myths when you were getting your like freshers on board (laughs) past a few myths um yeah for sure for sure I think it's just I think my tactic was constant positive reinforcement for anything like we did have people who who got lost in but you know that walked or, or jogged or whatever and like 
I think as much as I wanted people who could smash around a course, which we did, and we ended up getting a few people who could, um, I think it was important that everyone understood that as long as you got around, it was it was fine, you know. Um, so I think it was it was a myth. There were a couple of myths in terms of this is competitive and mm. you're running. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I don't think I had really pushed the the competitive side as much, maybe as it, as I could have. Um, but yeah. But to be honest, okay, this is but another. That can scare people off, though, as well. Exactly, and I think there is there is so much value in the people who aren't necessarily. I'm, I mean, this is so biased because I'm not an elite. But there's so much value in people who aren't elites who end up doing a lot of the organisation or like the kind of mid level stuff. The, the infrastructure in a sense so the guy who ended up taking on presidency wasn't like the best orienteer or um, the fastest runner or the best navigator he just really enjoyed the sport and that's all there was to it he wasn't in it to win it if you get what I mean um, yeah so I think there's there's a real value in not in in the non-elites but yeah, I don't know. Well, that's as a non-elite myself as well. That's music to my ears, <laughs> and it's exactly Go why I put you on. So yeah, but because there's so much more to the sport than than the elite level. There's so much more to the sport than walking around a park or you know, it's it's everything in between that, and that's really important. And in the competition yeah. side of things, like you have a competition some of it is elite competition but you have a competition against yourself oh i i'm i'm really happy i didn't do that same mistake that i did last week i've you know beaten my myself like i'm feeling really or or you just have that one club mate who you really want to like you know beat each time you have that little you know (laughs) there's a little kind of you know little small competitions inside you know whatever Mm. level of orienteering you're at exactly exactly Yeah. yeah yeah Well, I think some wise words there for when whether you're starting university club or actually whether you're getting, I think, anybody new into the sport or, you know, trying to get that enthusiasm going and all that kind of stuff. I mean, not as the easiest thing at the moment in COVID, but um, mm. def- definitely, I think, some good tips. So thank you so much, Georgia, for, for spending some time with me. No worries. It was so much fun. So that was Georgia Jones there. Yeah, fascinating insight into just what it takes to set up a university orienteering club in the in the modern day. Um, obviously, lots of clubs have been established for so long that it might seem part and parcel to some people, but some are still getting set up, and Georgia at Exeter University, you know, putting in a great shift to uh, to get the club set up. Catherine, I mean, fantastic interview. Um, Cheers. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I, she was absolutely great to chat to, and I feel like I feel like this is one you should be there for, Will, because we could have, bat- you know, so much kind of swapping stories about all our different times at university and all the different experiences we've had. Um, it's yeah, definitely some thoughts we could share. So yeah, mm. very happy to get Georgia on. No, yeah, no, th- thanks for Georgia for for joining us, and yeah, nice to have a change of pace from the uh, from the. Um, elite internationals we've had on for the last few weeks as well. But moving on, there's uh, there's been some other news that has dropped just a couple of days before we've recorded this, and that is uh, the creation of Formline UK, which is a, a new e-commerce orienteering retailer uh, founded which by Duncan Which, full disclosure, Bertwistle. you are involved in. I am partially involved in, <laughs> yes. Um, full full credit goes to Duncan Bertwistle. He, it's the, he is the brains behind the idea and the Maverick, who is setting up a business in the middle of a recession. <laughs> um, 
But it's essentially a, a new online platform to help retail orienteering um, equipment, shoes, compasses, the like, in a new modern world that we've entered into. Uh, they're on Instagram. They're online at um, formline.co.uk, I believe it is. Um, formline.uk. Formline.uk, there you go. Don't even know the, <laughs> the website. <laughs> Who's involved um, in this, Will? Brilliant involvement here from, from, <laughs> from me. Um, but yeah, check them out. And at the moment, you can actually buy our sponsors gear on there. So I've actually been uh, planning in some sprint training lately, Catherine. I know you mentioned these shoes a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. the, uh, the NVXXC. And that yeah, you, uh, crazy you got a, Yeah, the crazy lights that you got a new PB in. I've taken your advice. I eyeing up some sprint training now that you're a meeting has a sprint these are my go-to shoes i think for that race because i've been cracking them out for a bit of a bit of a test in prep for some sprint training i've planned very light very responsive i think they fill the gap between like sometimes you you know oh there's a bit of grass there's quite a lot of tarmac like what kind of shoe do i wear and i think it just kind of covers all the bases real specific purpose in mind when designing that shoe and it works check out mv straight uk on instagram and um that is mary fleming and nathan lawson who are retailing those and you can get in contact with them through either instagram or their email indeed but that is pretty much the end of this episode we will be back in a week's time with the sprint episode from um george jones and then in another two weeks time with our next kind of full length episode with hopefully chatting to one of the juniors who's been taking part in um this last weekend selection races so very very excited for that and we'll be back uh, we'll be back next time <laughs> <laughs>